I invite you to grab your beverages and come on back in and we'll continue with our teaching time uh, together this morning. My name is Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here. Uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to send Pastor Mike, who's our youth pastor, around with the microphone. And if you can begin thinking now of an example in your life, a time to be obedient to something that you felt like God was asking you to do. So a time, a short example of when you thought you really had to wrestle with doing God's will. Uh, you might think, well, <clears throat> that's a lazy pastor. He can't even come up with his own examples for an illustrations. He's asking for them, crowdsourcing them today. But I'm hopeful that you can think of one or two examples, all right? Well, uh, this weekend is a Missions Fest weekend down in Vancouver. It means a number of our people here at Jericho are down there. And one of the things that I really love about Jericho Ridge is that we've got a heart not only for our city, uh, not only for the places where you live and work and go to school and hang out, but we also have the opportunity to have people spread out all around the globe working for peace and justice, doing literacy and Bible translation work, um, doing all kinds of work caring for people who are poor. Uh, for example, Peter Ash just returned from Tanzania and working on the training frontline staff with an organization that he runs called Under the Same Sun and working and caring for kids and people who've experienced intense trauma in their life uh, as a result of a genetic condition of albinism. A lot of you know about that in our work at Jericho with them. Um, we also already prayed for this group that's going to Mexico in March. Uh, we have our 10th team going down to work in Guatemala and to build homes and uh, distribute wheelchairs. And so we encourage you to keep giving generously towards that. Um, there's all kinds of examples of people doing this work around the world. And so sometimes what can happen is with a church that has a global focus, you can get the impression that if you pray, all right, God, I'm available to you, your will be done uh, anywhere, anytime, that immediately God might say something to you like, I'm so glad you asked and got to that place. I've got to send you to the deepest, darkest corners of the world, like this guy. Watch this video. Oh Lord, I am your willing servant. You know that I have been for years. I'm here in this pew every Sunday and Wednesday. I have stained it with many a tear. I've given you years of my service. I have always given my best and I've never asked you for anything much so Lord I deserve this request please don't send me to Africa I don't think I've got what it takes I'm just a man I'm not a Tarzan don't like lions, gorillas are snakes I'll serve you here in suburbia In my comfortable middle class life But please don't send me out into the bush Where the natives are restless at night 
I'll see that the money is gathered. I'll see that the money is sent. I'll wash and stack the communion cups. I'll tithe eleven percent. I'll volunteer for the nursery. I'll go on the youth group retreat. I'll usher. I'll deacon. I'll go door to door. Just let me keep warming this seat. Please don't send me to the ends of the earth, where the natives are restless at night. Oh, it's a throwback Sunday, 1995. Scott Wesley Brown, please don't send me to Africa. It's funny, but there's a little element of truth to it because sometimes I wonder in our conversation on afraid, not that God isn't hearing our prayers, but that what if he is and he actually asks something of us? And your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven or impossible of us. And so sometimes I wonder if we pray timid prayers and settle for small faith because we don't want God's will to be that he send us somewhere that we don't want to go and leave our comfy suburban lives. We've been working through and looking at one of the most famous prayers in history and we're learning faith and in a capacity to pray and get in conversation with God. And for guidance in this, we're looking at what's probably the most famous prayer in all of history. It's come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus' disciples came to him and asked him, after watching Jesus pray, they said, could you teach us to pray? And Jesus answered that request and said, absolutely, when you pray, you're going to pray like this. And here's the text of that prayer from the New Living Translation in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. It's pretty short but it's also pretty bold and it's pretty comprehensive in terms of both how to pray and what to pray. So we've been taking this prayer apart, phrase by phrase, and looking at it and thinking, what are we actually praying instead of rushing through it? And we began our journey in the Lord's Prayer by looking at that first two phrases. They seem clear enough, but they set the groundwork for it. The prayer begins with, Our Father in heaven. So we learned that in prayer, we are approaching our Father, a God who is personal, who cares about you, who cares about the things that you bring to the table in that conversation. We have this privilege to come right into his presence by faith that he hears us, not because we've earned our way in by good behavior, but because we are his children. And yet, 
our Father is in heaven. And so he's not only personal, but he's also powerful. So we're coming not only to a loving and perfect heavenly Father, but we're also approaching the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who right now is seated in the heavenly realms and has all of the power and the authority at his disposal. He is reigning and sustaining by his mighty strength, and he's able, the scriptures remind us, to do then, because he's powerful, abundantly and exceedingly above all that we can ask or even imagine in our prayers. And so we need to be mindful of that when we engage in prayer. And then we looked at that other phrase, uh, may your name be kept holy. Holy talks about God's purity. Then we're reminding ourselves that in every aspect of God's character, he's pure. In his justice, in his love for the stranger and the immigrant and the widow and those on the margins. And we are called to engage with and participate in that holiness by living lives that reflect it. And then last week, uh, we had a guest John, who was with us teaching not only on Saturday for our prayer seminar, we had over 40 people there to learn and dig into that in a deeper way, Uh, but also on Sunday morning, last week he preached on the phrase, may your kingdom come, and he reminded us that when we pray, we are inviting and saying Jesus is not only up in heaven, but he's also actively in charge of the nations and in presiding over our city and lives as a reigning king. He's personal, powerful, pure, and he reigns as king. He's presiding. So our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. That's where we've got to so far in this prayer. And there's a lot to that already. So this this morning we hit this phrase, may your kingdom come. And so in the prayer, we're actually shifting now. We're moving into another section or a new direction in the prayer where we're not just reminding, but we're moving to that requesting or declaring or wrestling phase that so oftentimes I find I default to starting my prayers with. But the Lord's Prayer kind of gets us there after we remind ourselves of some of these other key truths. So we're moving from adoration to supplication, declaration, whatever language you want to use. The early part of the prayer focuses on God's character to rightly remind us of who we're in conversation with. And now we begin to work out the implications of things like his holiness, his kingship, his power. And in the pray like this prayer, Jesus does invite us to come with the things that are on our heart, the things that we are wanting to wrestle with and see him do in our lives and in the world because they're important. But notice the pronouns in the prayer because they're important. It's not, God, it's me, I have things that I need you to do for me. I have plans and purposes I need you to get on board with. I like the way John reminded us last week about it when he says, when we're praying, may Your will be done. Remember, it's God's will that we are inviting to be done. It's not my will. It's not our will. We're saying, God, we believe that you have something in your heart and in your mind and your will that you would like to see accomplished. And if we think about it for a minute, we're praying, if we're praying that God's will would increasingly be done, it implies that there's a gap, that it's not fully 
being done in all places at all times. In Romans chapter 12, as an example of this, Paul begins to talk about what God's will looks like. And in verse 3, he says this, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and purpose. Did you catch that? We actually have to learn what God's will is. And we need to allow then our lives to be increasingly shaped and directed by God's will, which is a learning process for us. It's a process of allowing him to increasingly change our thinking and our processing and the way that we act. So in other words, if there's a gap and we're praying, God, we need your will, it implies that there's going to be a struggle there in our lives and in our world. So I want you to reflect out, have you found this true in your experience? Would you be willing to share a brief story from your personal journey when you really struggled to do God's will? Pastor Mike will come around, just stick your hand up with the microphone and, and just reflect out, hey, this was an example in my life where I just had a, I had a hard time. It was a wrestling match, it felt like, to really know if this was God's will and what I would do about it. Okay, Caitlin. So, oh, um, God did send my family to Africa. Um, and I was, I was in high school, and I felt um, that God had impressed upon my heart that we needed to take a bit of a break and refocus on who, um, on who is Lord of our lives and, and where we were at. So we did. It was kind of an indefinite uh, break, and I wrestled with that for a very long time because I had put our relationship in a place in my life that it wasn't supposed to be. Um, yeah, so that's, we did that, and it ended up being the best, the best thing for both of us, I think. Great. Thanks. Yeah, I concur. <laughs> Mike's like, hindsight's twenty twenty. At the time, I wasn't feeling like that was God's will, so I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, Mike. <laughs> Allie. So staying with the Africa theme here. <laughs> I mean, you did put that video up for a purpose. Um, I think many of you know that Steve and I went to Africa very joyfully as a young married couple. And so for us, our struggle has almost been the opposite. It's been God's call on us to come out of that situation um, where we were... Originally, we were working with a people group in Kenya. We were very intensely involved in Bible translation and... We had that sense of, I guess, pride that comes along with that kind of, you know, we're real hardcore doing the, the proper stuff. And then God has been kind of calling us out steadily um, backwards. So we then moved to Nairobi where we were teaching, where Steve, sorry, was teaching at a, a Bible college and then coming here to Canada. Um, and part of that journey has been accepting that God's will is for us to be teachers and trainers of others to actually kind of increase um, the impact of the work where it might have been more comfortable for us and more exciting to stay rooted in that village in Africa. So yeah. there we go. That's great. Thanks, Ali. Yeah. Maybe one more. All right. Michael. We know all of things could be wrong. We ought to trust their hearts, their souls, and their strong work. Believe me, I am a one strong autism 
guide myself, and most of us do. We need to have extraordinary opportunity, extraordinary thoughts, and extraordinary faithfulness, and extraordinary helpful for the other guys mm. and people. Yeah. And yeah, God good, will yeah. have a extraordinary day and for all of us to know. But trust me, it'll be super cool with that. Right on. That's good, but it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. To really wrestle with some of those uh, implications and how do you live that out on an ongoing way. Well, thanks uh, to those that shared. I'm sure there's many, many stories and examples you can think of, of times when you really wrestled with this notion of, God, is that your will? Should, uh, do I press into that? What does that look like? Um, and sometimes that isn't the case. Sometimes maybe you have a sense of real clarity about that. Sometimes people have an easy time submitting to God's plans for them. They must be much more spiritual than I am because I find I'm often wrestling with that and it's a struggle for me. But here's where I think that praying your will be done is actually that moment of wrestling for us. And we can take comfort in the fact that you're not alone in that. Because if you look in the scriptures, Jesus himself wrestled with the question of doing God's will. Pause and think about that for a moment. We know this to be true because when we listen into his prayer that he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he went to the cross, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus prays this prayer. If it's possible, he's speaking with God, Heavenly Father, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Is there another way? Are you sure, God, that this is your will? And then he finishes his prayer saying, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. It's an amazing prayer that Jesus in his full humanity wrestled with doing the will of the Father. That Jesus would be praying and asking God for something different, another option, a way that didn't involve suffering and ultimately his death. And yet he finishes that prayer wrestle with a powerful phrase that's so incredibly difficult to utter. Yet I want your will, God, not mine. I want your will to be done, not mine. And so when we come to this part of the prayer, Really, it's the question that we have to ask ourselves is a question of submission. Am I willing to submit? Am I ready to submit? What would be a barrier in my heart to submitting to God's will? Maybe a barrier would be that you're not sure yet. You haven't wrestled it to the ground and you need to take some time in discernment with other people around you and process that and say, I'm unsure if this is what God has for me. Can you pray with me? And at the end of our time together, we'll have people that would love to be available to pray with you in that regard. Submission may mean that God calls you to do something challenging and difficult. He may send you to Africa, or he may send you from Africa to Langley. He may put suffering in your path. And it may not be an indicator that that's not God's will. It may actually be something for you to walk 
and journey through. But it may also mean submitting to something rich and wonderful and full. The challenge of praying this prayer is that God often asks prayer before he shows us the rest of the journey. He takes us to this place of saying, are you willing and ready to submit to my will? And I'm not going to fully explain all of that to you. Sometimes we don't even... And yet, can we still pray, God, I want your will. I desire, would you stir up in me a willing heart to do your will? I want to learn, not my will, but yours be done. The second part of this phrase, though, is may your will, and then that little phrase, be done. So, there's implications to this. Here at Jericho, we're on a two-year journey to deepen our life together, both corporately and individually, in prayer. We're going to focus hard on learning how and stepping into deeper places of prayer and coaching and helping each other with that journey. So I was sharing this with somebody, and they said, so let me get this straight. You're going to, at Jericho, sit around in some big kumbaya circle for two years. Two years? And there can be an impression that prayer is a very passive act. But that's where I think this phrase helps us unlearn or maybe relearn a sense of balance in that equation. See, it's not just that God has purposes and plans and a will that he wants to see done. He actually wants to get it done. And so that implies some kind of active participation in it on our part. And now here's where, for me personally, I find that I need to do some rebalancing. Actually, it's not really rebalancing. It's really resequencing in terms of life with God. Because those of you who know me know that I am wired up as an activist, I'm quick to move if there's an idea or something. Yes, let's get on that right away. Uh, I like getting her done. And so my danger in this is that I feel, and maybe you feel this tension as well, is that oftentimes in my life, my activism for God will precede my activation from God. In other words, I can be super guilty of running around doing all kinds of stuff for God before I've actually checked in with God to see if that is the stuff that he wants to get done. And if it's the right thing to do, the right timing to do it, I have a very hard time being patient and actually waiting for instructions from God to actually say, yep, I want you to do this. My activism can precede or get ahead of my activation. I love the way that author... Henry Blackaby nails this in a very convicting way. In his classic book, Experiencing God, he says this, I think that God is crying out and shouting to us, don't just do something, stand there. Actually, enter into a love relationship with me. Adjust your life to me. Let me love you and reveal myself to you as I work through you. A time will come when the doing will be called for, but we cannot skip the relationship. Don't just rush out and do something. Stand there. Sit there. Wait. 
learn to listen, get marching orders, and then begin to activate. And this is so, so hard for me because it's so counter to my wiring, and maybe yours as well. But it's something that we need to wrestle with because it's actually not an individual phenomenon. Whole churches can be guilty of this sin too. Getting lots of stuff done without pausing to consider whether those are actually the things that were done in the will and the way and the timing and that God had given to them. And here at Jericho, we're working hard to try to not be one of those churches that just rushes around getting stuff done before actively asking and discerning together, God, what is your unique assignment for us? We desire to be marked by our unhurried attentiveness and not our unbridled activism. I desire to be marked by unhurried attentiveness and obedience and not just by unbridled activism. How about you? Where do you wrestle with that in your life? And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, am I actually willing to wait for empowering and direction to acting? It doesn't apply to circumstances, by the way. There's some stuff that's just super clear. You should just do it. If God puts something in your life to just be about Get on with the business of it. You don't need to wait around and be empowered in direction, but there's sometimes when you need to actually be, um, take a different posture and actively ask and wait. I think about the disciples in Luke chapter 24, verses 49, where Jesus says to them, wait until you have been clothed with power or empowered by the Spirit from on high. And the crazy thing about that text is Jesus gave those instructions to wait right after he rose from the dead and right before he ascended uh, to heaven. And so if I was the disciples, I would be just all excited about this business of what I had just seen and I would want to rush around just telling everybody what had just happened. You guys will not believe it. But Jesus says to them, wait. I want you to wait until you are empowered for the ministry that I am giving to you. I will activate you in ministry and mission and service, but first, empowerment for direction, and then there's lots to be done. Are you willing to wait? Are we willing to wait? So many things in our culture push us to act and think quickly, make decisions, and again, there's times when that's right and appropriate to do it. Other times, we need to sit and to but stand there. The final little phrase in our cluster for today is, God, we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, in heaven, God rules and reigns fully, completely. Millions of angelic hosts exist to carry out his bidding. Heaven is a place where his will is done 100% of the time. God's will is always realized in heaven. There's no we know from the scripture about heaven. But here on earth, there's that gap again. Significant gaps often. So what are we actually praying when we say, God, 
would your will be done more fully here on earth as it is in heaven? Well, one thing I think we need to be aware of before we pray this prayer is that if you get to this line in the prayer, God, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're stepping into a place of risky obedience because you're putting yourself into that gap that place where God's will is not fully realized here in our world as it is in heaven and you're inviting God to use you to do something about those gaps. The implication is that you then, when you pray this prayer, are a conduit or opening yourself up to be a conduit of God's kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. You're saying to God, hey God, when you point out a place where your will is not being done and you empower me and activate me for that particular task to close that gap, I'm going to get to work on it. I want to see more and more of your will be done here on earth because your will is fully done in heaven. So a few examples. If you're a nurse or work in healthcare. When you drive up to the place that you work, your prayer might be, okay, God, today, my role here is to help bring about healing and restoration. Actually, what goes heaven? Full healing, full restoration. And so I want to partner with you to see more of that happening right here and right now where you have sent me. That prayer makes you a conduit of care in that place. If you're a parent, you might pray, all right, Jesus, in heaven, I get that there's perfect obedience. That is not this here in our house. Part of that's because I'm not a perfect parent, so Lord, I need you to deal with me and I need your grace. And then I know that your will is for me to be a conduit of your grace and your shaping influence to those that you've entrusted me with. I need wisdom to know which situations require which this week. That prayer places you in a position as a conduit of God's heart in your home and in the lives of those that you're called to influence. If you're a teacher, you might pray, God, part of your will is that people would flourish. And in order to do that in our world, they need to learn. And so help me to teach well. Help me to love well those you've placed in my charge today. Where there are information gaps, help me fill them. And in doing so, you become a conduit of kingdom knowledge and compassion in that classroom. If you're an accountant, you might look at your spreadsheet and say, all right, God, your desire is for human flourishing and that requires some level of doing things decently and in order. So give me the strength. I'm going to apply myself that order and structure into this setting that you have called me into. And as you pray that prayer, you're inviting God to make you a conduit of kingdom orderliness. There's so many examples of gap areas where we can become conduits of the kingdom. But remember, we don't do that strictly on our own strength and power and abilities or just because we stick our hand up for the job. I love the story of Peter and John in Acts chapter 3. I think it illustrates something about this conduit metaphor for us. Peter and John are on their way to an afternoon prayer meeting at the temple, and as they approach, a man who is lame is carried and looks at him and says, hey, I don't have any money, 
But I do have some, at that moment, complete physical healing from God. But the, the most interesting part of the story to me comes a touch later when Peter is asked to explain where the man's healing came from. And he doesn't say, well, look at me. I was in the right place at the right time and I prayed the right prayer and boom, this guy was healed. Peter, when he's asked to explain what happened in Acts chapter 3, verse 12, says this. First of all, he says, uh, why does this surprise you? <laughs> why do you stare at, at us as if by our own power or godliness, somehow we made this man walk? No, that's not how this went down. It was by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Peter says, you know what? I'm just a conduit. The healing came through me. It didn't come from me. This healing came from the authority and the name and the person and the power. And so when we step into those places, that is our role. We become conduits of God's kingdom everywhere that we find ourselves. Whether it's in a little act of kindness in the lineup at the grocery store whether it's becoming advocates for kingdom hospitality to those who are refugees or who are on the march, wake up in the morning on their minds with or ask God to remind them of in every morning is, God, where do I want to see your presence and your power break into my world today? Where do I want to see God's presence and power break into my world? Where is that gap between the way that heaven operates and the way that earth is right now operating in this situation, and how can I close it? How can I bring more of what's going on in that realm into the world today? In his book, God is Closer Than You Think, author and pastor John Ortberg says that when we ask this question, it's one of the most dangerous and exciting prayers that any human being can pray. Look at how he expresses this. Jesus never told anybody, neither his disciples nor us, to pray, get up to heaven. Make up there, come down here. Make things run the way that they do up there. Make up there, come down here. And this can perhaps be the most dangerous, exciting, and life-altering prayer that a human being can pray. What would it look like to this today can together partner to make down here. Let me suggest that if we move into that place, there's a few things that we want to consider for reflection. It takes us back to where we started, and that is we have to start from a place of submission. See, we can't be conduits if we're most interested in done. We have to have the king's values and the king's heart and vision and priorities in our minds. And so the question is, are there areas of your life that you are having a hard time submitting to Jesus. It's probably true that all of us have areas of our lives that we have challenges with submitting fully to Jesus. Maybe for you it's your finance. You want to be a kingdom conduit, but you can't stick to a budget that allows you to be generous. Maybe you're in a habit 
of lying and you need to just become a person that speaks the truth so that when you do step into those gap places, truth is being spoken and people can trust you. Maybe you're not uh, in a habit of guarding yourself in the area of your sexuality and lust has more mastery over your heart than Jesus does. Maybe these are areas of repentance for you. You need to take them to Jesus and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. I want to be increasingly submitted to you. It's an area of submission. Because, friends, we don't actually get out of the gate in our Christian life and experience without surrender. And maybe for you today, that's a new thought or an idea. The very definition of someone who calls himself a Christian is someone who has said this to Jesus. Lord, I surrender to you. I'm sorry for the things that I have done that are wrong and that have offended you and that have broken relationship between us and I want to submit to you. I want to give control of my life and everything that I am to you. That's the beginning of the Christian life. That's how you step into that place and say, yeah, I would like to call myself a member of God's family. And so maybe for you today, that's your first step. We would love to help walk with you on that journey. Come over and we'll pray with you and you can invite Jesus to begin to shape your heart in that way. So that first question is one of submission. The second question is that one of sequence. Are there areas in your life that you are running ahead or lagging behind the Spirit's work? I love the way that Paul writes to the church in Galatia and he says to them in Galatians chapter 5, Verse 25, hey, gang, you got to keep in step with the Spirit. If the Spirit is running, you got to move. If the Spirit is waiting and walking slowly or being still, keep in that place. Don't rush ahead and don't lag behind. And so the question is, are you in a habit of waiting on God, asking for his direction and striking out. This is the real power, I think, of life journaling and getting into a regular habit of reading God's word is that you get that sense from God in the mornings of yes or whenever you do it, this is what God has for me to keep in step with him as I go through the day. And so you might want to, as your action point, join Meg at Starbucks at 6 a.m. on uh, Wednesday and get into that habit of hearing and listening so that you don't run ahead or lag behind what God is doing. Because it's so easy, friends, I find this in my life, to get busy, 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 busy with activities that we've not been given authority or authorization from the Lord to be a part of. So wait for empowering and direction before acting. The final question is really where the adventure begins when you step into this place. And it's a challenge that I want you to wrestle with. I want you to think about, would you be willing to take on the challenge of waking up each day and saying, where do I long to see God's presence and power break into the world today? Where is it that is something that is just breaking God's heart that I need to be a part of in some meaningful way? What gaps exist that need filling? Where do you long to see God's presence and power break into your world? The Ron and the worship team are going to come. They're going to prepare to lead us in three songs of responding to God. And here at Jericho, our practice is to have people available for prayer response each week. 
And so Pastor Wally will be available, uh, Pastor Mike will be available, I'll be available over at the sides, and we would love to pray and stand with you. And part of the reason that we do this, the why behind it, is that our core purpose here at Jericho is that we believe that we are cultivating disciples of Jesus who embody God's love everywhere that you go. And so it's our conviction that you're actually going to go into places this week where you will need God's presence and power in order to fully live out your calling as a disciple. And so we love to stand with you in that journey. Maybe for you, there's a tough relationship or conversation that needs mending. And you want to just come to the side and say, I just need prayer for that conversation. I need prayer for courage in that way. Um, Maybe it's an area in your life that you're really wrestling with in your community. You look in your neighborhood and you see a need and you think, I just don't even know how to go about starting into meeting that. Let's ask for God to give wisdom and discernment. Maybe it's something that's breaking your heart that's going on in our world on the global stage and you say, I just want to pray with someone that God's kingdom would come and press into those places and pray bold prayers of faith. And so I invite you then to come for prayer. Maybe it's an area of your life that you're wrestling with submitting to God and you just want to take time kneeling and worshiping and inviting God by His Spirit. Maybe it's a friend or loved one you want to invite God to work in. Press in and say, God, where's that gap? And how do you want me to fill it? Let me pray for you as we worship together. God, we come to you as in this place today recognizing that we're broken, that we're needy, and that there's gaps in our own lives and hearts that we need for you to fill. And so we come first and ask for a spirit of repentance, Father, that it would break out in each of our lives. And we ask also for a spirit of boldness and witness that, Father, where you call us to move, that we would be responsive in obedience. We pray against fear and anxiety that would hold us back, We pray, Father, that you would empower us by your spirit for bold witness, for bold mission, for bold generosity. And God, we pray and ask that we would be the people that would help and stand in those areas of gaps by the empowerment of your spirit, not because we're so amazing or that we're just so rightly placed, but because you have called us there for that purpose and for this.